Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 15 What do you think of this Englishman? Dale was pacing Kenneth's office with his hands in his pockets, while the latter seated before his table, where were arranged various bottles, gallipots, and a delicate pair of scales, was busily engaged in weighing out medicines and putting them in powders. He smiled slightly, then answered in a grave, somewhat preoccupied tone, handsome, intelligent, traveled, apparently wealthy, can be very interesting in conversation, but haunts my office a little more than is perfectly agreeable to a man whose time is often more than money. No insinuation, I hope, returned Dale, laughing and shrugging his shoulders. Not at all, Godfrey. I feel at liberty to invite you to retire when I wish to be rid of you. Thank you. I regard that as an incontrovertible proof of friendship. But to return, I don't fancy the fellow. He's too highly polished. His extreme suavity of manner fills me with a desire to knock him down. There's nothing like an air of patronage to my angry passions rise. And then he's forever at Miss Lamar's side, robbing every other fellow of the least chance to bask in her smiles. I haven't been able to exchange a dozen sentences with her in the week that he's been in our town. I vote that he be sent back to his own country. Dale did not see the half-spasm of pain that contracted Kenneth's brow for an instant. I must go now, have to ride ten miles into the country, he said, bolding the last powder, then bestowing them along with such other medical and surgical appliances as he might have need of in his saddle-bags. He summoned Zeb to put them on his horse, ready saddled at the door, and donning overcoat and hat, hurried out, mounted and away at a rapid gallop. The principal streets had now been cleared of trees and Indians' wigwams alike. They were very wide and straight, giving an extended view and plenty of room for the passage of esquatarians and vehicles. Far ahead of him, Kenneth could see a lady and gentleman on horseback cantering briskly along. He overtook them and, in passing, caught and returned a smile and bow from Nell Lamar and the Englishman. They were out for a ride through the gay, beautiful woods this delicious October morning. Something akin to envy of Littleton stirred for a moment in Kenneth's breast, but he struggled against it. Why should I grudge to him the prize that can never be mine? He asked himself, and am I so utterly so abominable, selfish, that I cannot rejoice in her happiness, though it be with another? Faster, faster, good Romeo, he continued aloud, patting the neck of his noble steed. Let us bestir ourselves, my boy, for we are needed yonder, and jealousy and envy must be left behind. The intelligent creature seemed to understand, and urged by neither whip nor spur, flew over the ground with almost the speed of the wind. Far in the distance a farmhouse loomed up into sight, and as they drew rapidly nearer, Kenneth could descry a horseman galloping furiously toward it with, from the opposite direction. His first thought was that it might be another messenger from the house to which he was bound some miles farther on, and where a patient lay very ill. But no, the man drew rein at the gate of the dwelling already in sight. 
and as Kenneth came dashing up was an earnest colloquy with the farmer. They held him. Hello, doctor, stop a bit. Have you heard the news? No, he answered, coming to a sudden halt alongside of the other horseman, whom he now recognized as a farmer living some distance down the prairie. Are you the bearer of evil tidings, Co? An accident? Someone hurt? I've hardly time to stop unless my services are needed. Worse than that, doctor, he's beyond your help. Poor fellow. But you'd best listen, for all that. Yes, put in the other man with an oath. It's the doings o' those Indians, and if you don't look out, doc, they'll be taking your scalp before ye know it. What? You don't mean that the Indians have begun hostilities again, Wolf? Yes, sir, I do, he cried with a yet fiercer oath, and bringing his fist down heavily upon the palm of the other hand, he... Here's Co. bringing news that Captain Herod's found lying in the woods, murdered and scalped. Captain Herod, a man greatly loved by his neighbors, as ye must know, and of course it's their work, and the next thing they'll be burning down our houses and our ears, and butchering and scalping men, women, and children as they did afore mad Anthony Wayne whipped him into good behavior. Is there any positive proof that Herod met his death at their hands? Kenneth asked, turning to Coe. No, but it looks like I'm out to warn the settlers in the valley that we'd best be moving close together and building block houses for protection. That we had, exclaimed Wolf, again cursing the savages as cruel and treacherous. They had often proved so in past times, said Kenneth, yet there have been some noble exceptions, and certainly we have not been guiltless in our treatment of them. We is as truly murder as to kill a white man, said Kenneth. For God hath made by of one blood all nations of men, but we have no time to talk, Co. You go on to Chillicothe? Yes, and beyond, warning everybody to get ready for the worst. I must be off. Good day to ye, both gentlemen. He put spurs to his horse, but Kenneth called after him. Stay a moment. I passed a lady and gentleman riding out from the town. Be on the lookout for them and warn them to hurry back, will you? All right, Doc, and each sped on his way. Kenneth's thoughts divided between grief for the violent death of a friend and neighbor, and anxiety for his patient, and for sweet Nell Lamar, who might be even now in danger. Alas, to have to trust her to the Englishman's care. It was solely against his will that Kenneth continued to increase the distance between her and himself. Nor did he tarry unnecessarily in the sick room, or snatch even a moment to refresh himself with food though in need of it, and urgently pressed to sit down to a well-spread board. Do now, doctor, stop and take a bite, entreated the lady of the house, following him to the door. Why, it'll be the middle of the afternoon, or even later, before you can get back to Chillicothe. Thank you kindly, Mrs. Bray, he said, tightening his saddle girth as he spoke. I really do not feel hungry, and am in a very great haste to return. Excited over this news of poor Captain Herod, she said. Well, it's just as likely to have been the work of some white man as of the Indians, I think. Somebody that has had a grudge against him. He was much beloved, Mrs. Bray. That's true, too, and yet I've heard he had an enemy. I do not know, but hope it may not prove the beginning of hostilities. Kenneth returned as he sprang into the saddle. Good afternoon, madam. Now, Romeo, good fellow, on at the top of your speed. 
He glanced warily from side to side, alert but courageous, as he skimmed over the prairies and plunged through the forests, yet no sign of lurking savage rewarded his vigilance. He did not halt or slacken his pace till fairly within the limits of the town, then allowing Steed to fall into a walk, he looked up and down the streets. People were hurrying along in unusual haste or standing in groups talking earnestly with grave, sad, anxious faces. Major Lamar, detaching himself from one of these knots of talkers, called to Kenneth to stop, then coming to his side asked if he had heard the news of poor Captain Herod. Yes, what is thought of it? That is the doing of the Indians? They are various opinions. We have held a town meeting, resolved to prepare for the worst. We do not hear of any Indians being seen on the warpath. We will hope for the best. Miss Nell, inquired Kenneth, I passed her in Littleton as I left town this morning. Yes, they met Coe and came back in something of a panic. Nell hardly the more alarmed of the two. I fancy, and there was a sly twinkle in the Major's eye, an almost imperceptible smile lurking about the corners of his mouth. She is safe, then? I was a little uneasy, not knowing how far they meant to go. By this time, quite a little crowd had collected about Romeo, and Kenneth was piled with eager queries as to the road he had been traveling, and whether he had seen any signs of hostile Indians. His replies, negativing the last question, seemed to afford some slight satisfaction, some hope that there was less occasion for alarm than had been feared. Still all were in favor of proceeding with the work, already resolved upon in the public meeting of fortifying the town. Kenneth was dismounting at his office door when Barbour hailed him with a request that he would come at once to his house, as his wife seemed in a very bad way. "'What is the matter?' asked the doctor, hurrying along by Barbour's side. "'I hardly know, Doc. She's a good deal alarmed with this story of Captain Herod's murder, and really seems hardly able to breathe.' Hysteria, doubtless. Dangerous? No, not particularly so, returned the doctor dryly. But Mrs. Barber managed to detain him in attendance upon her for a couple of hours, insisting that she should certainly die if he left her, till at last he was compelled to tell her that he could not stay another moment, nor was it at all necessary that he should. Returning to his office, he found Major Lamar waiting for him with an invitation to tea. Kenneth demurred, totally beginning to be most uncomfortably sensible that he had not tasted food since an early breakfast, but the Major would take no denial. I have some very fine game, and have set my heart upon sharing the enjoyment of it with you, he said, and I shall be quite in disgrace with my wife if I fail to bring you according to promise. Bernard and Littleton are to sup with us, too, so that you may feel short of a feast of reason and a flow of soul, he added jocosely. The Englishman is a good talker, you know. Yes, his conversational powers are enviable, Kenneth answered in a tone of hearty goodwill. And since you are so kindly urgent, Major, I will go with you. A vision of Littleton basking in Nell's sunny smiles, calling forth her silvery laughter with his mirth-provoking sallies, thrilling her with his stories of wild adventure, or moving her to tears with the pathos of his description of human suffering or heroism in times of danger, had brought about this decision, erroneously described by the Major to the attractiveness of the picture he had drawn. Kenneth made a hasty toilet, and they walked over to the Major's together. 
Full half of Littleton's time during this week in Chillicothe had been spent there. As Kenneth drew to his no small disturbance, in vain he reminded himself that he could never claim Nell as his own, therefore had not the shadow of a right to stand in the way of another. He could not school his heart into a willingness to utterly resign the faint hope that would linger there, spite of reason's mighty arguments against it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. <laughs>